Hello and very good morning to you and welcome to the Football Digest podcast and what a week in football it has been. Um, We've had so many incidents, so many talking points, still talking about the Merseyside derby, what a controversial match that was, what an outcome, uh, what devastating impact it might have for Liverpool. We've had the Champions League and we'll also be looking forward to this week ends fixtures in the Premier League. Um, it's it's all I love European football, love Champions League weeks, but we'll be get, great to get back to domestic football. So many uh, talking points, so many things to discuss, and I'm delighted then to be in the company of Andy Dunn, the uh, chief football uh, chief. Oh, I've demoted myself there. Chief sports writer um, of the Daily Mirror, Jeremy Cross, chief sports writer of the Daily Star, and Matt Dunn, uh, head football honcho of the Daily Express. Uh, very good morning to you guys. Thanks so much for for, for joining us. And um, I have to say, it's been an incredible week, hasn't it? I mean, so many talking points, so many incidents and issues. I'm going to kick off really um, with the with the Champions League. I'm sure um, I, I know uh, Jeremy and Andy. You were both at Man City last night, weren't you? Um, but you know, I watched the Liverpool game on 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 the TV, having been at Chelsea on Tuesday night. Um, so many uh, things. Um, really to discuss out of Liverpool this week. Um, I, I wonder, Matt, did you watch did you, you watched the game um, last night? I, I don't know what, what you thought. Did, did Liverpool look uh, a, a team still uh, yearning really for, for their main kingpin and linchpin, their centre-half, Virgil van Dijk? Um, it's difficult to pick on just 90 minutes and say, oh, that's what's missing, that's what's what they need. Um you know, they, they got the job done that they needed to without him. Um, I, I think it's too early to, to pick that that to measure the impact he's going to have over a season. Um, yeah, I mean, they don't always get through the group games as as, as that well, Liverpool, funny enough. Um, but but they were they were on it last night without him. Uh, and that was a big sort of galvanising experience because it must have been difficult for that squad, you know, to, to see a popular and influential player um, effectively, have his season potentially ended? Yeah, it's a, it's bad news, I think, Andy, isn't it for 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 the Premier League? This is the point, isn't it? That I think we've we've arguably got the best defender in world football um, playing his football in the Premier League. Liverpool have benefited f- from that, obviously, tremendously um, in the last couple of seasons. What you know, they've improved so much. Uh, do they? What do they do now, Andy? Do they have to? Do they have to move on from this? Do they have to try and sort of kind of put that behind them in their minds? Do they potentially go into into the market in January? I think potentially they will go into the market in January. I don't see any reason why not. But having said that, you, you know, it, as unfortunate as it was, extremely unfortunate. Probably not unfortunate actually. You know, it was Jordan Pickford's fault. We all know that. Um, these things do happen, you know. I mean, top teams lose top players. It, it, it just happens. They have to go for long periods without top players. You know, Liverpool are not alone in that. Jurgen Klopp isn't particularly looking for any sympathy on that front. He knows that's part of the game, unfortunately. Um, and they will react to it. I agree. Matt used the point there about um, uh, a word galvanising. And I think it will galvanise Liverpool. And certainly be intriguing to see how, if Fabinho is used there more often than, say, a, a normal replacement centre-half, It'll be interesting to see what he brings to the game. It would have been fascinating to see how the season had played out with Van Dijk because I think, you know, teams had got a long, had had a long time to try and work out a way to get past Van Dijk, you know, and, and there were signs actually in the early games that maybe one or two had found that way. So that would have been intriguing to see how Van Dijk would have adapted his game. 
but it's not to be. Um, and don't forget, Liverpool's best form of defence, as fantastic as Van Dijk has been, as fantastic as that back line had been um, the previous season and in the other season before that, you know, their best form of defence um, is basically comes right from the top. You know, from, from the way they attack, from that front three, um, they defend from the very top and they defend all the way through the team. So while Van Dijk is clearly an absolutely crucial loss, you know, they've got enough to atone for that. And it will now, it just now adds another another fascinating strand to the narrative, doesn't it, on, on, on if they can cope with that. And I'm sure they can cope with it. Will he go into the market? I think he will. Do they have enough to cope without Van Dijk? I think they do. Jeremy, what what do you think now about Jordan Pickford? I mean, he's England's number one. We mustn't overlook this. They've got you know they've got a treble header coming up next month. It's huge spotlight on him already, to to be honest. And now on the back of this, I mean, blimey, it, it's it, it really feels as if the weight of the world is on his shoulders, isn't it? Yeah, look, the pressure was already on Pickford. The spotlight was on him. It's been on him for months, actually. Um, his form's been very erratic. His behaviour in the penalty box has been erratic. This is the last thing he needed, basically, but he's brought it all on himself and I've got no sympathy for him, really. I think, yeah, look, it's a tough one for Ancelotti and Southgate, really, because he's 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 very unreliable at the minute. He sort of... He reminds me of Joe Hart towards the end of his England career when he, you know, he used to come out for games so pumped up and very sort of wired up and over, you know... He would overreact to simple things and try and do something, you know, maybe he's trying a bit too hard to impress. I don't know. But, yeah, look, Southgate's got a big call to make because he's not got many squads left before um, he names his final one for the Euros next summer. And um, it's it's a tough call. I mean, does he give Pope a go? Does he give Henderson a go? They're both waiting in the wings. The issue is, obviously, Henderson's not playing for Man United and Pope's... Um, you know, not pulling up any trees at Burnley. So it's a pickle for Southgate. And um, yeah, look, it's a it's a real test of Pickford's mental strength now because there were stories earlier in the week about, you know, the police are looking into death threats on social media. He obviously plays for Liverpool's main neighbours and rivals, uh, Everton. So it's going to be a grim few weeks for him, really. He needs to get his head down and, um, and produce some good performances. I was just going to put you up on one thing there, Jeremy, that you mentioned that he, he's he's only got himself to blame. Now, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk, isn't there, whether that was an intentional um, challenge. I can't believe that for a moment. You, you know, some of the pundits were sort of saying he's out of control. And and I guess that that's the line, isn't it? You know, whether it's it's, it's accidental um, or, or, or just being out of control. I mean, it, it was a reckless challenge rather than anything else, wasn't it? Yeah, look, I I have a slight sympathy in that look, you we've all seen keepers down the decades when they're coming out of them, they try and make themselves big, they spread their legs and their arms. You know, Schmeichel was a, a master at that for, for ten years at United. And he was trying to basically make himself as big as possible to block any any chip shot coming in from, from Van Dyke. But his foot, his leading foot was so high, it actually, you know, clattered into Van Dyke's knee, and that's that's where the issue comes it was it was you know once you make contact at that knee level it's um it's a red card for me i mean yeah. the the scenario that followed i think was just embarrassing for for var for those who work var for the for the referee on the on the pitch at the time it's just a mess mm-hmm. yeah matt you're you're a big one on on, on var refereeing decisions what shouldn't what, what shouldn't happen um 
talk us through it. I mean, you know, in in between the rules, the red tape, and the regulations, that they've they, they've they've made an absolute pickle of it, haven't they? I, I'm loving the all the pickle that's around today. There's, a, there's been a lot of that already. Um, Jordan Pickle. <laughs> Pickleford. Jordan Pickleford. Um, uh, yeah, the VAR thing. People are forgetting to referee. Really established uh, officials that have been doing this for years are so fixated with going through the process of VAR, they're forgetting to manage the game. And mm -hmm. when something like that goes on, albeit after an offside decision, whether it was or not, um, you still got to deal with that situation. That was violent conduct. There was no question about it. If it goes on while the ball's in play, after the game, it needs to be dealt with. And referees are just forgetting. that they're, they're so so worried about when they're allowed to whistle, when to keep the game going for a bit. You know, am I hearing something in my ear that perhaps we need to have a look at that again? I don't know. They're just not dealing with what's in front of them. And that, that's what the top referees used to be really good at, the, the managing of situations. Uh, and uh, and that's going from the game now. Uh, and these sorts of mistakes are a result of it. I think the whole VIR thing is increasingly is a mess. Uh, and I think we need to all sit down, uh, you know, once this, is, this season's over and think, do we actually want technology? And, and ask them some quite serious questions now. Mm. John, can I just interrupt? Mm. Yeah. Just going back to Pickford, what's been totally overlooked from that derby game, which was actually a fantastic game of football, mm. um, is the fact that Pickford actually let Henderson's goal, which we've got mm. subsequently ruled out for offside, he should have saved that goal. It went yeah. straight through him, basically. And that's been overlooked, really, in like what happened with him and Van Dyke. Yeah, I, I, I do actually think that's a great point, you know. I mean, that is absolutely meat and drink, that save. Yeah. It's just really straightforward, and that's almost the worst you know, damning thing of a goalkeeper really, really struggling. I mean, I must say, if I have my two penneth on 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 the on the VAR and and and, and how it went, was that basically, I I just think that Oliver has relied so much on 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 Coot there because Oliver can't see it through a crowd of players, and then I just think that Coot has has, has basically um, checked. I don't think checked for a um, penalty decision rather than the red card, and almost left the red card to Oliver. Oliver left has left it to 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 his man, and they've missed it along the way. But Big to call. suggest, as has been done, that Coot wouldn't know that he could still um, give a red card after an offside decision for me is just utter fantasy. I mean, these guys are at the top of their profession. Whether you like that or not, whether you think the standards are dropping, um, it, it's just it's just nonsense in, in my view. Andy, where are we with refereeing standards? Um, do, do you think? I, I tend to think this this group is is the worst I can remember overall for really? some years. Um, I, I would disagree. Um, you know, I, I don't think. I mean, we always say it's not particularly great. Listen, we're never going to say we've got a great bunch of referees, and the fact of the matter is, is is, is I, I couldn't disagree basically with you. I, I could I disagree with you all on, on, on VAR in this case. The reason that Pickford was not sent off, um, it's quite simple. Nothing to do with VAR, nothing to do with any technology, nothing to do with the state of VAR and should we get rid of it. He wasn't sent off because goalkeepers do not get sent off for violent conduct. They do not get sent off for reckless challenges. They do not get sent off for serious foul play. When was the last time in the Premier League a goalkeeper was sent off for serious foul play, violent conduct? You know when? 2007. 2007, 5,000 games ago. It is a mindset... Who was it? Who was it? 
Um, it was. Uh, Sorry. Good Sorry. No, no, I, Sorry, I, Andy. I know, I know this. It was on Carlos Tevez, um, Scott Carson. Wow, wow. Scott Andy, Carson. that is a great stat. Amazing. And, uh, 2007, that's 5,000 games ago. And that is long before. Listen, VAR, we didn't know what VAR was then. If you, yeah. you, know, if you mentioned VAR, you were probably on about the second world VAR. I mean, it, it's like, you know, this idea that, that somehow VAR is the... the the, the, the all-consuming evil is absolute nonsense. They didn't send him off because they don't send keepers off. Keepers are overprotected. When they come out for a challenge, if they wipe out the man, when was the last time you seen someone sent off for that? They don't do that anymore. It, it, it's just not it's, it's not an issue. And that is why, fundamentally, he looked at it, and a keeper is has been entitled, whether rightly or wrongly, to come out and wipe out whatever he sees in front of him. And how many times, how many times do you see a striker lift the ball over the keeper, and then the keeper wipes him out. Dunning, that that is it. And and instead, we've got this. I mean, I mean, and Dunning is part of this. We've got this obsession with blaming VAR for it. VAR had nothing to do with it. I mean, really, he could have looked at it, I guess. And then, mm. what was he going to do? Book the trend of over two decades of protecting goalkeepers. Hey, Dunny, it goes back further. Can you remember when Harold Schumacher flattened Batistone in the World Cup? Batistone. That was what eighteen eighty-two. Exactly. Now, if we decapitate mindset, where we don't give goalkeepers that protection, where goalkeepers are judged to the same, um, within the same parameters as outfield players, it's like people say, "Well, if that happened," and I've heard so many pundits say, "Well, if that had happened on the outfield, you know, uh, out out, on the outfield, you know, an outfield player, he would have been sent off immediately." Well, the answer to that is yes, but it didn't. It didn't, And, and referees have a mindset. The goalkeepers are allowed leeway. Now, you might agree with it, you might not, but goalkeepers, without a doubt, are allowed leeway in their challenge. And that's what happened with Jordan Pickford. Nothing to do with VAR, nothing to climb on. And while we're on VAR, by the way, you know... (laughs) And while we're at it. I was driving home from that Merseyside derby, and it was the usual sort of like VAR discussion, going round in circles, well, he wasn't offside, you know, he's only a little bit offside. Well, listen... If, they, if they're applying those, again, those parameters to every single offside instance, then what's the big deal? And then, so they were, they were, I won't say the pundit's name, but they were interviewing this pundit. He says, he says, you know, VAR has taken the joy out of the game, the absolute joy out of the game. And I hear this every single time it's taken the joy out of the game. So the interviewer says, oh, all right, how's that? He said, and the guy says, well, you know what the game's all about? The guy says, no, go on, goals? He says, yeah, goals. And this VAR is just designed to chalk off goals. It's terrible. It's killing the game. And then it was pointed out to him that there's never been more goals. We, we, we can't, you can't move for goals. They've just yeah. been a 2-2 and then a 3-3. And, and we're not about, well, it's killing the game. It's, all it's designed to do is stop goals. Well, how does that work? I, you know, yeah. I, as far as I'm concerned, we are literally, I mean, and, and for example, last night, right, Chateau Donetsk would have been, a, would have been denied one of the most famous um, victories in their club's history had they not yeah. been far. Yeah. I mean, so so what do you do? What say? Oh well, tough. Mm. It's you know, I, I just think that, it, that there is an that there's a tendency now to basically centre everything around VAR, and they did that with Pickford, and I don't think that was the case. If you want a proper discussion about Jordan Pickford and what happened, and the unfortunate thing that happened to Virgil Van Dijk, then discuss whether or not goalkeepers are overprotected. Done with this criticism Andy. of VAR. I would think we've gone too far with it. Oh, very good. No, and Andy, people, if people don't know what you're talking about, I mean, that Real Madrid, you know, Shakhtar game was an astonishing game. Shakhtar Donetsk go go three nil up. Real Madrid, you know, have got it back to to three two, 
and plenty of time to win. And then in injury time, you know, you've got this shot through a crowd of players and then a player right in front of the Shakhtar Donetsk mm -hmm. goalkeeper, right in his eye line. Not only is he in, is he in his eye line, he makes to move a leg and the yeah. referee still lets it stand. Just and it's only thanks to VAR That's that right. basically it's reviewed. I mean, it was yes. an incredible moment. I just couldn't believe yeah. it. And, and again, I would argue that basically that referee on the pitch is thinking, well, I don't need to decide on that because VAR is going to help me out. He's either doing that consciously or subconsciously. And I feel as if that, that, that basically VR, we, we have to stay with it. It's the future. It's technology. It, it, we've got to make it work better. And part of the problem is that you I know. think that basically I'm, I'm, I'm driving Andy mad now. I can see him sort of exhaling and crying. No, no, no. no. The problem is we don't trust the people. The machinery is only as good as the people operating. And that's the John, problem. John, is there, a, is there an argument to say that for next season, there needs to be a whole review of the people who actually operate this technology because the, the technology is there and it's working. It's just how we interpret it. Is there not an argument to say we should have some ex-players on that panel? Well, I don't think we should have ex-players, frankly. I think we should have ex-referees. Have ex I mean, we haven't replaced a generation of referees who are characters and who are strong. And I mean, like, you know, Webb, Halsey, Clattenburg. But, I mean, it's reached such farcical standards. I remember doing a story, a little story about this. And I think it was Lee Probert. When he, he basically had a fitness issue. Um, couldn't pass the, the couldn't pass the fitness test, but was a clear, you know, very recently active referee. So he thought, right, I'll, I'll try and become a VAR. He was told he couldn't become a VAR because because basically he, he wasn't fit enough to be a referee. He sat behind a screen. <laughs> I mean, it's the most ridiculous story you've ever heard. But I mean, that's how it was. And it's just they they have tied their sub self up in knots. And equally, guys, we are tying ourselves up in a little bit of knots about VAR and the Merseyside derby here. So I just want to I just want to cross to you, Jeremy. You you were at the Etihad last night, weren't you? Yeah. Um, for City, how did they look? What was that game like? Are City the uh, Champions League contenders that they're made out to be by the bookies? I felt a bit underwhelmed. I don't know if Dunny agrees with me, but it was a run-of-the-mill win. You know, for Porto was stubborn. They had men behind the ball, played five at the back. It was a typical night where City had most of the ball, were challenged to break down their opponents. Um, they did well, actually, because Porto took the lead early on with a great individual goal following a defensive mistake uh, by City. Um I'm still not convinced by City. I've got to say, I want to see more of their new signings. Um, I want to see what defence takes shape under Guardiola this season. I'll chop and change things. But um, Aguero's back fit now. He scored a penalty last night. So that's a major boost for City. But the, 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 the win, you know, while it was convincing in the end, um, the last 20 minutes, um, they scored another goal. Um, they... Um, they just look like a team that's still finding the feet this season. Um, and it came at a cost that, that win last night because Fernandinho, who'd been mm -hmm. ranting and raving right in front of me and Dunny, actually, for the whole <laughs> game. I'm not kidding. I thought he was going to pull a muscle in his throat <laughs> at one point. Then when he did eventually get on, having, having had a row with their manager before he actually got on the pitch, he then managed to get himself injured. Um, and Guardiola said afterwards that it was it was looked like he'd done his thigh muscle, so it could be four to six weeks. So that's a bad news. Um, and Gundogan was quite sort of outspoken afterwards in terms of 
him saying that he thinks City are going to have a lot of problems in the coming coming months due to the fact that everyone's fitness levels are at different stages. You know, De Bruyne's out at the minute, although he's due back in training today and Laporte's been missing. So it's hard to judge them at the minute because they've got a lot of things going on in the squad, like like a lot of clubs have, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And Andy, do you, what do you, what do you make of City right now? Uh, you know, they, they spent so much money on a new central defender, Diaz, didn't they? Yes. Is, is he the real real deal? I, I I don't know, John. It's funny because Diaz actually gave the ball away for the goal last night. And you know what? I came away, um, and it's funny because you're used to City winning, you're used to them scoring goals. And I, I just came away with one thing in my mind, and maybe this is unfair, probably is unfair, but I, I came away thinking that goal they conceded sums up it was a snapshot of why they haven't won the champions league under pep guardiola and why they probably won't win the champions league under pep guardiola you just cannot concede goals like that they no matter what defensive combinations they come up with they look capable of conceding a goal like that diaz ruben diaz looks as though he's the type of defender that um that many people have been saying the city been crying out for quite uncompromising a physical presence you know no nonsense you might suggest However, you know, Pep's now going to have him playing out from the back like last night, you know, and when he tries to get him to play like Beckenbauer, that may be the way, that may be the pitfalls. You know, he's trying to get everyone to play like that and, and maybe they can't. And whatever combination, the combination last night was Cancelo on the left, Walker on the right, who had a good game, I thought, Walker, who's been playing well at the moment. Um, mm. Cancelo, Walker, two fullbacks, and Garcia and um, Diaz. And, and they just didn't look comfortable. You know, what once, bear in mind, once Diaz had given the ball away, the other Diaz who scored um, had a lot to do, but he just breezed past um, Cancelo, you know, as though he wasn't there. Garcia and Cancelo, I think it was, he breezed past. And it's just, you know, they, they are the type of goals that City concede. And until he sorts that out, then their Champions League challenge is always going to be compromised. It's as simple as that. Now, that seems a bit harsh because they came back mm. and won the game 3-1. But it just, it just reminded me of the type of goals that City are capable of conceding and we saw it against obviously Leicester City to spectacular effect earlier mm. in the Premier League season so that's what I came away thinking and that's and that's judging them very harshly you know but then then you get judged harshly um at that level and I agree with everything um, Jeremy said you, you know they they do look at varying degrees of fitness they are missing players they're now mi missing you know De Bruyne Laporte uh, Mendy um and obviously now Fernandino um so I think the one thing I would say is that Guardiola did say it's nice to win when you're struggling. And I guess they may not have done that in the past, so that's a positive. But I just still think, you know, there's just still this nagging, nagging worry about a defence that will shoot itself in the foot sooner rather than later. Yeah, I guess we all know how good Laporte is and it's a yeah. worry, isn't it, for, for yes. you know, uh, for City that he just doesn't seem to be able to string a run of consistent games together. And he hasn't done since that serious injury, has he, you know, so... Um, that they, they, they miss him like mad. Uh, Matt, I'm going to take you back to, to, to Man United, um, guys. Jer I mean, Jeremy, uh, you, you know, you covered th this one as well. I mean, it's what, it, what, what is it about Paris and Man United and Marcus Rashford? I mean, it was an astonishing um game and performance and result because whatever you make of PSG, that's a huge statement, I think, of intent for Man United, isn't it? Yeah, listen, they're such a frustrating team. If I was a Man United supporter, I'd just be shaking my head the other night thinking, where did that performance come from? I mean, you know, the last time they saw the team play, they got tonked 6-1 by Tottenham at home and they look like a pub team, basically. And that's probably being a bit disrespectful to pub football on a Sunday morning. 
Um, but you know, Pog, uh, Solskjaer had two weeks in the international break to, to, to come up with plans for this game, and he, I have to say, give him credit, he worked them out. They were fantastically organised. They they had a lot of energy in midfield. Tom and him, Fred were fantastic. They found a way to shackle Neymar and um, Mbappe. They thoroughly deserve to win. I mean, I know Rashford scored the winning goal, but the, at least twice on the break in the last 20 minutes, Rashford wasted great opportunities to either score himself or or put someone else in Martial, um, most probably. But um, so it could have even been, you know, 3-4-1 to United. So it's a real statement from United. The challenge now for Solskjaer and his players is can they maintain that standard over a consistent period of time? I mean... We just don't know which Man United team is going to turn up at uh, Old Trafford on Saturday to play Chelsea, which is a great game mm. uh, and a big game in the Premier League. Um, so they're just so inconsistent. And there are issues off the pitch that he's got to deal with Solskjaer. So, you know, there'll, there'll be more bumps in the road for sure, but it's it's something to, to build on for sure. Yeah, M Matt, I'm going to ask you about one of those issues off the pitch, which is Mason Greenwood. I, I, I must say, I spoke to I spoke to Jeremy on the phone yesterday, and we were laughing about the use of a word um, in one in one of the stories, tardiness. Um, and, and Greenwood has, I, I, I think, you know, found himself in disciplinary problems with, with with United. Bearing in mind what happened in Iceland, how much of a concern is that for for a young player? Uh, oh, it's forward? huge! It's huge. You can talk sort of with words like tardiness now, and it all just seems to, you know, to you know, come on. Pull your buck yourself up, get get a grip, lad, and and you know we can all move on. But it's when that doesn't happen, and when uh, you know one or two incidents becomes a series of incidents. Um, we we know, all know players who haven't fulfilled their potential because of their failure to get a grip with the discipline that's required mm. to reach the highest level. Ravel Morrison is an obvious example, um, uh, and you just fear that for all the talent that Greenwood's got, you have got to put in the work. You, you can't be good enough just to waltz through um, professional football and uh, and reach the very highest levels. You've got to put the work in. That's why Harry Kane's there at training, you know, on time every day and staying late. That's why David Beckham used to do it. That's why Ryan Giggs did it. You, you don't just naturally waltz in uh, and achieve what you need to be able to achieve just by, uh, you know, showing no sort of respect for your teammates um, uh, and just just arriving, yeah. If he is arriving late all the time, you know, it just shows an attitude problem. And unless he shakes that off, because he's not done anything to have that attitude. To be fair to him, you know, a couple of goals for United, you know, uh, some decent England appearances, but but that's nothing in the scheme of things. And he needs to wake up to the fact that that he needs to go up a gear just to uh, get to the next level that he needs to, needs to be aiming for. Um, uh, and I don't know. Is Solskjaer a strong enough person to turn? I mean, Fergie certainly was for most. Although, um, you know, I, I just wonder whether Solskjaer is the guy to hammer that home to him. Mm. Andy, I absolutely hate doing this kind of mm. comparing football bad boys to kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, you know the really good examples. But I'm going to do it anyway because Mason uh, Mason Greenwood, you know, has, ha has had that, and you know, he's still learning from it. I mean, if there's one shining example, you know, at the club who we can learn from, he even talked about sort of learning from it, it's Marcus Rashford. His campaign on, on school meals and child poverty is something I think it, which is truly remarkable and, you know, putting the government to shame. We hear Raheem Sterling talking about, um, you know, the racist abuse players. Mm -hmm. 
um, suffering football and, and kind of, you know, speaking up against social media companies and the need to do something about that. How important are those guys and those sort of voices like Sterling and Rashford right now? Oh, in, in, incredibly important, you know, and, and they're people that, that we know about, um, that there are there are other footballers, you know, up and down throughout the pyramid who, who do stuff away from the field um, that, that that is is for the good of society. I think players in general, you, you know, are no longer sort of um, allowing themselves to be pigeonholed into, well, that's all they do is play football and go home, think football, eat football, sleep football. Um, sleep too much football in, in terms of Mason Greenwood by the sound of it. Um, <laughs> but, um, and, 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 that, and, and that isn't the case anymore. You know, Marcus Rashford, when, when he was on England duty, um, I think we were all in on an interview with, with Marcus um, ahead of a game, you know, and he would have, you know, maybe, a, um, you know, normally before an England game, he would have ex we would have expected questions maybe about, you know, his, his general form, his club form, was he scoring enough, how did he feel, you know, um, what do you see as best position, et cetera, et cetera. Instead, it was dominated by his his task force to um, fight um, um, child food poverty in his mm -hmm. country. And he just took it all in his stride. That's what he wanted to talk about. He said, listen, it's no problem. You, you know, the, the idiots who, who suggest that it could in any way distract from his football, I mean, are, are just so far off the mark. It's untrue. And, you know, for him to have this um, cause, you know, it's not... It's not something that like the special. We all care about these things, and he just realised that he's in a position where people will listen to him. The government will listen to him. They didn't listen to him yesterday, last night, disgracefully. They have listened to him in the past, mm. and you know who, who, who's to know that he won't force yet another U-turn. But they will. They're more likely to listen to him and the campaign that, that he he leads than than others. Listen, this is not to say that everyone, the likes of Greenwood, should you know um, decide that they that they're going to be out there and prominent in campaign for. For you know to cure society's ills, of course they shouldn't. You, you, you know that's not that it's it's not. No one should feel guilty that they're not doing their bit. But I think what Rashford is setting the template for is for players to realise actually that they've got um, a voice now um, that is listened to, and, and Marcus Rashford is using that voice quite like no other. To be perfectly honest with you, that is the way it's shaping up. John, yeah. can I just say mm -hmm. that the most disturbing thing about the Greenwood issue is here's a guy who. Two minutes ago, was getting flown home from an England squad mm. in Iceland for an horrendous error of judgment with Phil Foden. He came back to a barrage of criticism, was forced to apologise. He knew his life was going to be under severe scrutiny and he just had to do everything right. And he just cannot get the ba a basic thing like turning up for training on time right. I mean, that nothing annoys a manager more than that. And I think that's a major problem now for Solskjaer. He's, it would be a real worry that because if he, if he can't do that in this current climate, hmm. it doesn't bode well for the future, does it? It doesn't. And, and and listen, I do take on board Matt's point about, you know, he hasn't done anything in the game yet. But what I would argue is that... He, He's one of the most exciting players, I think, in, in young individual talents that, you know, I, I, I've seen for a while. His, his ability on both feet is just yeah. astonishing. His power and his pace, the intelligence of, it, of his runs and his movement is, is breathtaking. You know, he can be a United absolute legend. But within that, you absolutely have to kind of refine that and hone that precocious talent, don't you, so that it doesn't go to go to his go to his head really and i think that's that that's the point isn't it now and that takes man management i think really 
So I do so, recall actually a time when Matt Dunn was accused of tardiness on the uh, <laughs> on his timekeeping on the team bus in Russia. Was it? Was it Russia? Well, I think Matt, D- yes. Matt Dunn is accused of his tardiness every <laughs> single week. But you know, yeah, every hey, single go. trip, Russia was just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it? yeah, absolutely. It wasn't as if we were leaving the hotel regularly because of the ridiculous nature of the flights at half three in the morning or anything like that. And there was Matt Dunn keeping us all waiting. No, definitely not. No, we've got the right man to. Talk about tardiness anyway moving swiftly yeah. on he's going to get me back for this i know he is um but basically i'm going to take us back to when, when me and matt dunn sat um, seamlessly t- next to each other obviously socially distanced at uh, stanford bridge the other night uh, one of the, my w- most favorite and wacky stories of the week is petter check coming out of retirement at 38 and i have to say that knowing petter check and the standards that he keeps and the training that he does I bet he's still the best goalkeeper at the club, but none. I mean, it, Matt... It's, it, he's not it, even it, the oldest, is he? No, he's, no, no, he's remarkable. Willie Cavallero's older, yeah. isn't he? And then basically, I mean, it's, it is remarkable, isn't it? What a, what a great story um, that is, really. I mean, you know, do you see the logic in it? Do you see the sense in it? He's probably not going to play, but, you know, the kind of the, the mirror image of, of him joining from Ren as Mendy has done, maybe, maybe it might help them solve the crisis. What do you think? Well, I think he's taken on board Andy's point about the protection goalkeepers get. And I think he's going to arrive with his hockey gear on, his ice hockey gear on and his big stick uh, and, and get, attack anyone who comes into his box. Uh, I mean, basically, this is the last the last time he kept goal was for Guildford on, on an ice rink. Um, it is a bizarre decision. And what made it more bizarre is you can kind of understand the thinking COVID could wipe out a goalkeeper training session, a goalkeeper bubble. And, and then what do you do? But actually, it turns out he, he spends quite a lot of time with the goalkeepers training them. So if COVID were to hit any one of them, they'd all have to isolate anyway. I mean, having a guy upstairs away from the training ground who could actually go in net in a, in a when you're in a pickle, to use the word of the moment, uh, is a great idea. But but then when he's down there with them anyway, it just makes no sense at all. And you just, yeah, it's, it seems like a little bit of overthinking, I think, and a little bit of disrespect to the three goalkeepers that he's got, although whether they're due a little bit of disrespect is another question. Yeah, I don't think they've, <laughs> they've entertained or, or earned too much respect. Mendy, Mendy apart, actually, Mendy's done. Mendy's he's done, done well, pickle. actually. He was good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is your favourite sort of pickle? Are, are we? Can we sell that goes with cheese? What's your sort of favourite sort of cheese? <laughs> hey, listen, I, I I thought it was really. I feel a sponsorship opportunity. I, I'm fully, as people will know, I'm fully signed up to the Frank Lampard fan club. Big admirer of Frank Lampard and the job that he's done at Chelsea, and 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 Andy has got the sim, similar views about a player that we'll come on to very yeah. shortly. But I, I, you know, Frank Lampard raising a very good point this week. Um, about the kind of the crazy madcap results and why we'll keep on having them. Obviously, went on then to have a goalless draw and teed that one up, didn't we, really, basically, for him. But, you know, he was making the point about the kind of disrupted pre-season, not had much time to work with the players, fatigue, fitness levels. What do we think, guys? You you know, open to the floor, really. Are all those valid arguments? And basically, should we stop blooming moaning and just enjoy it? Yeah, absolutely. We should enjoy. You know what, John? I think I think there's there's like with anything. There's there's obviously a whole range of factors. But you know what? It was interesting um, at the Merseyside derby. I spoke to um, an ex-pro who was um, summarising for um, Radio Merseyside, and I was asking him about this. And and this isn't the first time I'd, I'd heard 
this theory is that certain strikers and certain players are thriving behind closed doors because they're not getting any stick because they are not um they're not feeling the pressure from the crowd so he gave the example of the guy who just equalized for everton dominic calvert lewin who's made a sensational start to this premier league season no one denying no one would deny he is a fantastic player however this guy said to me you know what i think that if calvert lewin there is playing in front of a very demanding crowd and, and everton and goodison park as we all know they're a demanding bunch there they can be mm. and if he misses one or two one or two good chances and the crowd gets on his back and and his confidence goes you know, you know and, and he's, he's not the type of guy you know maybe listen this might be a bit harsh but then maybe he would take this you know he would feel the pressure of the crowd getting on his back having missed one or two chances there's no such thing now you know miss a chance move on there's no there's no one from the crowd shouting you know you're the you're the donkey you know and no one's shouting to um Carlo Ancelotti to get this guy off the pitch and, and substitute him there's none of that external pressure on 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 certain players now and I think players responded to that. And it's a very, very interesting point. Is does Dominic Calvert-Lewin, for example, and I'm only using him as an example, does he score the goals he's scoring now in front of, of, of a demanding crowd? Who knows? But it is just one of those imponderables, I think, that's, that's, that's a fascinating ingredient as to why we're seeing all his goals. Yeah. Jeremy, do you think that the crowd issue is, is a factor in that? Because you, you could argue that the, the smaller teams... Um, uh, you know, refuse to give up in places that they might norden, normally, you, you know, buckle and kind of, you know, I think maybe an example is Chelsea 3, Southampton 3. Southampton keep going right throughout the game, come back and come back and come back and then snatch a, snatch an equaliser. Well, on another occasion, with, with you know, with the hostile home crowd cheering for the for Chelsea, did Chelsea go and win it 4-2, 5-2? Um, yeah. You know, is that the factor? Yeah, I totally agree. I, I mean, you know, look, there are there are certain grounds where if a team goes two 0 down, you know, they're buried because the crowd are making a racket and there's no way back for them. You know, they go into the shells and they just try and limit the damage. And that probably would have been the case with um, Southampton and Tottenham. Um, we saw Leeds on the opening day of the season push Liverpool to the limit in a great game at Anfield, which was, you know, if if there's one stadium that that gives their home team a a huge advantage it's Anfield we've all been there on those crazy nights you know you think back to that game when the, they came back against Barcelona 4-0 to get through to the Champions League final would they have been able to do that without a crowd there no I don't think they would no. so yeah what's odd about it is you think we talk about the, the amount of goals that are going in and the state of the defending in the Premier League at the minute in theory, you should think be able. To, you should be able to think that defenders should be able to communicate far better because there's no noise to 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 distract them, and you know they should be able to help each other with their with instructions. But that doesn't seem to be the case because goals are flying in left, right, centre. And I'm, for, I'm all for it. I've got to say, you know, we all look. We all want crowds back. Of course, we do. Uh, it's not the same. No one near the same. But um, you know, I'd, I'd much rather see a four-three thriller than a than a one-nil. You know edged out by a team in the last 10 minutes with some great defending. I mean, I'm, I, I think the, some of the games and results have been incredibly entertaining. Yeah, I must say, Matt, I, I don't know what you think, but it, 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 we all miss crowds. We're desperate for them to, to get back. But the Champions League, it feels as if, I don't know, it's even more acute because sometimes the, these big European nights, you know, they're sort of crackling with atmosphere. 
you know it's the temp they're almost the tempo is set by the by the crowd we didn't half miss that don't we in champions league and european weeks well we missed it on tuesday night i felt yes, <laughs> yes. six shots for chelsea their worst i think for about uh five years in a champions league game um yeah even the even the when they play the uh anthems it just doesn't tingle the spine quite as much as it it does when there's a crowd there uh and there's no reason for that because it's only the pa playing um it's easy for these games to feel flat, especially as, um, you know, they're group games. And, and this is, we'll no doubt come on to this, you know, those sorts of games on Tuesday as, as a Super League, when it's, mm. you know, mid-table clash, there's not the intense rivalry. There's not, you know, there's not the uh, local uh, sort of bragging rights that you're playing for. And uh, I, I don't know if our country in particular is that enamoured of... You, anything but the very best European football. Um, it's all very good talking about great clashes between, you know, uh, Liverpool and Barcelona. But but when it is, as it was on Tuesday night, you know, a, a team from Seville and a team from Southwest London, it just didn't have any sort of buzz about it. And, uh, and, and having no fans there doesn't help that at all. No. Guys, we're, we're kicking into the Europa League um, action tonight um Tottenham Arsenal um, um, amongst those sort of playing aren't they really but two players that won't be playing because <laughs> they're in, in, in neither the Europa League or the Premier League squad so Mesut Ozil and Danny Rose uh, we've spoken so much about Mesut Ozil I'm going to come on to him but I have to say Dan, Danny Rose is almost like being forgotten about in, in in all of this and Danny Rose here we're talking about a player who was absolutely sensational you know when Spurs nearly won the title in, in 2016 I mean absolutely fantastic and was as much of a transfer target as Carl Walker was to be honest I mean you know Jeremy what do you what do you make of Danny Rose first and foremost I mean when we talk about loyalty and and shouldn't there be a little bit of loyalty with, with Spurs and Danny Rose I mean it, it seems yeah. really harsh this one uh, well look first of all I find it ironic when players are talking about loyalty I know we'll get on to Ozil I know he mm. made that in his, he mentioned that in his statement that's a different debate but listen Danny Rose is a fantastic footballer there's no there's no question about that he was in the World Cup squad uh, in Russia um he is he has been you know the epitome of the modern modern fullback in terms of what the demands are placed on players like Danny Rose in terms of bombing down the wing, you know, defending, getting back, tracking back. You have to be a supreme athlete to play that position. And he's done it really well. He's only just turned 30 this summer, Danny Rose. Mm. He's got 30 England caps to his net, 29 England caps to his name. Very experienced player, very enthusiastic player whenever I've seen him play. Um, so it's a sad situation really because he's now basically sitting on his backside until January, until he can get a move. I know he was he was trying to, well, Genoa were keen on signing in the in the summer window. For, for whatever reason, that, that didn't um, come off. And, and Mourinho's clearly got other options at, at left-back mm. at Tottenham. So and he's, he's decided to bomb him out. But um, I'm, amazed, I'm amazed, actually, that he's not, he's not got a move in the last window. I really am. I mean, I'd yeah. love to know what's going on there because I find it staggering that some... Premier League club cannot, 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 you know, sign Danny Rose. No, it, it is amazing. Maybe people have seen the Amazon documentary. I don't know in a particular scene with with, with Jose Mourinho. Frankly, I think that basically, if you're going to let the cameras in, 
that you know that's what you're going to get, isn't it? It was it was it was in, in interesting watching, and it feels as if we <laughs> the Meza Urzel saga, Andy, has played out in, in similar in similar views because you, you know Meza Urzel has now had his say on on, on social media, and Arteta for once, I have to say, having ducked questions continually, is that actually being open and honest about the whole saga? It's sad though, isn't it? Incredibly sad. You know, this feels like another saga's been going on a long time, but this does feel like a a line in the sand, doesn't it? This is, mm. you know, it, it's all over for Ozil um, at Arsenal, and it feels like that. And it's incredibly sad. I, I mean, I'm, I, I, you won't be surprised here. I'm I'm just in the middle of writing a column for tomorrow's newspaper on <laughs> Mesut Ozil, and what a sad loss it is to not just to Arsenal but to mm. the Premier League in general. To me, this is Mikel Arteta is shaking a challenge. He's, he's jacking it in too quickly. If he is, John, being clear and honest about why mm. Ozil's not in the squad, i.e. Ozil's not good enough to be in the squad, it, I mean, you know, patently, he is a good enough player to be in any 25-man squad. Why you would not have Ozil in a 25-man squad in the Premier League, you know, is unfathomable. However, if he's not, then Arteta is literally shaking a challenge because, listen, you could argue that maybe... Arsene Wenger never really, really got to the bottom of Metatozil. You can certainly say that Unai Emery failed to get the best out of Metatozil. You can say that managers such as Guardiola and Klopp in the Premier League, don't forget Guardi uh, um, sorry, Guardiola and Klopp in the Premier League, wouldn't have Ozil in their team. Mm. You can say that Jose Marino didn't bring him to the Premier League, even though he did have a good relationship with him and a productive one at Real Madrid. So you can say all these people look Ozil and think, you know, we just can't get the best out of him in the unique environment of the Premier League. But Arteta's young manager had the chance to try and do that. What a challenge that would have been for him to actually get a world-class player playing for his team in the way he wants. Instead, well, you know, he's just, to me, he's just now given up on the challenge too soon. He wants a team maybe of automatons. He wants a, a functional team. And that's where Arsenal are. You know, they're quite good at the moment. They're pretty functional. The beauty, the elegance that Ozil brings, that's lost to the Premier League now. That's 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 lost to to Arsenal. And it's just incredibly sad. Here's a guy who can see passes that none of that squad, none of them can see. No, not, not any of them can, can, can even think about some of the passes that Ozil can, can produce. He's that good. And that is, is, of course, the underrated skill. All we do now is we want to see how quickly they close down, how high they press, mm. how many kilometres they, they cover. Can they make a tactical foul? Oh no, but, but Mesotozel, they, they see him as a luxury. You know, it is just so sad that in a way, you know, elegance has gone from the game. The game is more about functionality than beauty. And I don't care, you know, I mean, obviously I'm not an Arsenal fan, so it doesn't affect me. But I just think not to see a player who can play like Mesotozel can play. You know what? I've told this story before, but Jose Marino, when he had him at Real Madrid, he used to organise practice matches. And this is what Marino claimed, that he could turn his back on the practice match, but he would still know by the sound of the contact where Mesutozo was kicking a ball. It was that pure. Now, whether you believe that or not, it might have just been a, a Jose bit of gravy on that story. But that's the type of, of, of play he brings to the game. And to give up on that, just, you know, I, it makes me wonder, then they must have um, a heck of a squad at Arsenal and just not quite showing it yet. No, no. Matt, Matt, where do you think finance comes into this? And please don't get me wrong here. I'm not just talking about the fact that he earns £350,000 a week. It's more to do with the fact that, you know, we're making a judgment, aren't, aren't we, on the earnings? Him not taking the pay cut. It's, you know, 
where, where is the line here? It, it, has it been done purely, um, you, you know, from, from Arteta's point of view, from a football decision, do you think, or, 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 or does the finance play a part? And I should add here that this is the man who went into battle on an Arsenal press conference and asked Arteta about 15 questions in a row about Meza Ozil, <laughs> refused to give up the gauntlet. Um, and it, uh, uh, frankly, it annoys me at times when, when basically, you know, that the people go on about kind of short, sharp answers. I got into a Twitter debate uh, yesterday about kind of, you know, managers being too blunt and, you know, what people seen as rude. I'd rather have that than, than people just dodging questions and paying lip service. So, so I applaud your 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 endeavour, Matt, on, on that. But where where is the line on Ozil? Well, I think that's what Arteta has just drawn this week, isn't it? It's to stop people like me uh, asking about it for the rest of the season. It, it's Ozil attracts the attention because of the money he's on. Um, all the time, he was just a, a sort of a luxury item as part of the squad. He was, you know, a, a topic of debate, whatever. But he's a massive weekly investment. Um, in, a, in a club that are uh, getting rid of staff, all those, that background, that is the sort of behind the scenes uh, ra ranker that's going on um, uh, at the club. And Meza Ozil has become the figurehead of all of that. Uh, and by being paid that amount of money not to do his job, um, it's just something that Arteta was bound to get asked by somebody every week because he is that talent that, that Andy talks about, or he can be. So what he's done is he said, uh, presumably with the blessing of the board, he said, look, we're just going to have to hang him out to dry because I can't be dealing with this every week. The players can't be dealing with that because it knocks their confidence all the time. Everyone's saying, oh, let's just bring Meza Ozil in. He'll sort it all out. Um, he's going to move on a different way. He, Ozil played every game. Uh, before lockdown, mm. um, and all Arsenal could do was draw. Since then, their performances have picked up, their results have picked up, they've won trophies, uh, and people, you know, and like you say, non-Arsenal fans want Ozil back. Uh, and I agree, it's great to look at when he picks a particular pass, but he's got to get on the ball to do that, and he does nothing to help himself do that. Uh, and if, you know, Arteta's sort of, Humbly said it was his failing. Well, if 350 grand a week can't motivate him, how can a manager motivate him? You know, Ozil, for whatever reason, he has the ability. He's not slow. He's not um, unfit. He, he could, with the right work ethic, fit it, the, the work ethic that Arteta demands from all his players, the ones that aren't paid as much as him, uh, you know, right the way down to the to the academy he expects a work ethic and if he feels he can't get that from Meza Ozil he doesn't want to have to be dealing with the likes of me or anybody else asking about Meza mm. Ozil all the time he just wants to get on with the job of turning Arsenal into contenders again and for the short period that Ozil is going to be still at the club he's not going to make a difference to that so get rid of him I think that it's no. exactly the right thing to do. Mark can I just say it's not his fault though is it that he's earning 350 grand a week no, but I think what I find difficult is people can't understand why that can't motivate him to literally go the extra kilometre, as we've said on all these stats. You know, pride, you would think, would say, I'm going to fight my way into that. Team. I've not seen any fight from Ozil. When he played um, under Arteta, he knocked a few fancy passes around, but I didn't see him take a game by the scruff of the neck and win it for for Arsenal. Uh, where Where's that? If... if 
if he was worth that amount of money, and it was a huge misstep to give him that contract, obviously. Uh, but that was the clamour at the time. In fairness to him, that was that the was the panic the because they lost too many other good players. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I still think he was a, he was a quality quality John, player. Can I ask you? Do you think uh, Ozil is still the most talented player in the Arsenal squad? Or it, with the how he's not in the squad now, obviously. But do you mean the most naturally gifted? Yeah. Yeah. So why why would so do you, why would Arteta not not like Andy Dunn said it earlier? take that challenge on and well I, ju I just feel that i just feel that he's right in so many things andy in the basic this is the style of play it's the pressing game it's the it's the it's the high press it's the energy it's the work rate it's the battle back and everything that we want to see in see in players of course we do please don't get me wrong but we also why do you want to watch football you want to watch the entertainers yeah. you want to watch the you want to watch the kind of the the showmen in the middle of the pitch right. running the game i mean exactly. i just think it was listen i think it's I'm not putting him down in any way because I think right now he's the best number 10 in the Premier League on, on form. But it's Harry Kane. Harry Kane, in, for, for me, is the best number 10 in the Premier League on form and the way that he's playing. He, don't get me wrong, he's playing the number nine as well. But he's playing, well, he's dropping so deep and springing, spraying passes all over the shop. And basically, look at his stats if you don't believe me, goals and assists. It's obvious. It's obvious. Yeah. He's, he's playing brilliantly. But without being... You know, in any way disparaging about him, in a way that's not how he should be. He's a yeah. centre forward, but basically the only way you can now get a ten into a Premier League team of high press and energy and work rate is 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 Harry Kane. It's it's yeah. it's, it's bonkers, and yeah. that's I'm, I'm sorry, but that that is part of the kind of the ethos we've lost that yeah. that entertainment we've lost that style we've lost that you know Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's it's like 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 matt there you know dismisses ozil's a few fancy passes a few fancy passes for goodness sake what was that goal what was that goal last year was it last year with a bamiyang goal against leicester i think it was yeah i know the back one to front. do you remember oh. one back to front ozil's two contributions in that were worth the season tickets alone we're worth the season tickets alone. He flicks one and a halfway line, makes the run, and then does the dummy inside and then takes another pass. I've seen Ozil do more damage by not touching the ball than, than a lot of midfielders who Matt probably is admires have done in an entire season. The art of the dummy. Do you remember, remember um, Pele used to say, Pele was 80 tomorrow as it happens. Pele used to say, now I'm not, now before anyone gets on at me, I'm not sort of Pele and Ozil in the same sense deliberately, but Pele used to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> no, Pella used to say that the the time that you could do the most damage um, and create the most uncertainty with a defender was by not touching the ball, was by letting it run. He didn't know what you were going to do. As soon as you'd taken a touch, the defender, you know, could know what to do. And famously, of course, Pele remembered doing that against when he dummied the ball against Uruguay, wasn't he? Ironically, I think he missed in the end. He shot wide, didn't he? Yeah. Yes, he did. But that's the type of thing. How many times have you seen yep. Ozil? With a dummy, with a feint, by looking at the ball, just by, by by looking lovingly at the ball and then leaving it, creates whatever. But we don't like art anymore. You know, Matt wants to turn up and watch people dig ditches. I'm not saying that's what I want. I'm just whatever. You don't get Ozil into career so your fence. You get him to paint pictures, mate. Yeah, 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 I must, yeah. I must say, I've, I've just ploughed my way through the through the Arsene Wenger autobiography, and and you know a few things shone out, and his love of Özil calling in the artist shines mate, through. He probably, arguably, didn't mate, even get the best how, out of himself, how, listen, but there you go. I mean, and and I know what the reply is going to be. Well, mm. it was only ludicrous, but how about the goal against? Oh, 
He's still he breathtaking. Ridiculous. I mean, he, just he's sensational. He's playing the same game at a different pace. Absolutely, he's man. Just amazing. Absolutely no. astonishing. I Guys, you're right. I'm going to right. As we're talking no, about no, crazy no, amounts no. of money, uh, seamless, seamless link. I've been accidentally partridge this week, so I'm going to carry on in that <laughs> theme. Um, I'm going to move us on to the European Super League. Um, I mean, you know. Uh, new week, new day, new Super League, basically. Guys, what 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 do we make of it? I mean, I have to say, I, I'm not sure about this one. I don't see this one getting uh, off the ground. But it, there's a certain, you know, distaste, isn't there, for, for, for a league being proposed at this stage? Yeah, look, the timing of it is it's crass, to say the least, isn't it, given the fact that we're, we're seeing a lot of clubs lower down the Football League pyramid struggling to make ends meet. Still can't work out a bailout package from the Premier League and then you've got you know a notion clearly driven by American owners like Fenway and the Glazers um, that, that this is a story that's been bubbling along for two two or three years it's the ultimate dream of the of the of the big clubs in Europe you know they see a market a potential market which would create billions in revenue uh, commercial revenue, TV revenue—it's just—it's just, it's just a, uh, an unsubtle lunge at trying to trying to trying to gain more power and wealth from the game. Uh, it's put UEFA on a collision course with FIFA because clearly this would leave the Champions League seriously undermined. Um, I can't see it happening, to be honest. Uh, there's way too many bridges to to get over for this to ever happen. So it's um, it's a it's another pickle. Yes, absolutely. And we all love pickle, don't we, Matt? I mean, Matt, it's, it's not... I can't... You know, I mean, it is jostling, isn't it? Is it just a negotiating tactic, this one? It's the same story that's been around for 20 years, just different mm. participants. Um, Spain uh, envy the Premier League like nothing else. They're desperate to try and get the same financial clout as the big Premier League teams. Uh, and we... Um, with the, the Giants, um, Real Madrid and Barcelona don't seem to be able to um, get enough money between them. So they look to the rest of Europe. The Premier League listen in because they don't want to miss out, but they're never the driving force behind this because they're doing quite well, thank you very much, because of the Premier League. Uh, and then it's the, the characters around them change. This is a another power grab opportunity like we were talking about last week um, with the, the big six. This is by FIFA who are desperate to get their fingers into the, um, club football um, uh, and and also to uh, dampen down UEFA's influence a little bit. Uh, there'll be a row. There's a lot of money behind this, apparently. So that's, you know, a big arguing chip. But all it'll do is eventually FIFA and UEFA will come to some sort of compromise on how European football should look. And that will probably be reflected in perhaps some changes to the formats for European football uh, which were planned anyway uh, in three years' time. Yeah, and Andy, what's your take on it? It feels like it feels we've got a momentum. Whatever you, whatever plan they come up with, whatever idea, whatever variation on the Super League, we're heading in that direction, aren't we? Isn't it inevitable? Yeah, well, it's inevitable. I think that, that you know, and as Matt says, there are changes afoot, and they can't come quickly enough. It's in, in it, the Champions League needs um, having another look at the Champions League. Mm. To me, need streamlining. We mentioned earlier on in the show about how these qualification groups, you know, just lack a bit of sparkle now, lack a bit of mm. predictability. You know, you turn around, you look at the eight groups, 
and you'd be pretty unlucky if you didn't actually name all 16 teams that will be in the um, in the knockout stages early next year. So it does need looking at by UEFA. Um, the one thing I think that, I mean, a lot's been said on this, and I agree with everything. You know, it's unfortunate that Liverpool and Man United are once again sort of linked with this sort of stuff. Just unfortunate timing. You know, this is a time when when the communities they represent are going into lockdown and are wondering, you know, whether they can put bread on the table, whether their jobs are safe and whatever. And, and, and they look at their football clubs and they just seem to be concerned with making more dollars for their American owners. And that's just unfortunate timing. Um, I think, though, the bottom line, the one thing out of all the things that are particularly distasteful about this type of thing, the one thing I think is the fact that it's this sense of entitlement, the sense that the competition isn't really a meritocracy to get into it, the, the sense that you have to be a certain club of certain size with a certain history, if you want, to get into it. You have to be have certain commercial pulling power, hence Real Madrid, you know, um, who've now, who obviously lost last night to Shakhtar's B team, essentially, they would be in it anyway. It wouldn't matter about their results. You know, Bayern Munich would be in it anyway. AC Milan, again, whose who's European mm-hmm. um, form over the last few seasons hasn't been much to write home about. They would automatically be in it. I think that's the, I think that's the fundamental thing that, 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 that you have to really bridle at is, is the fact, this idea that clubs are just automatically in some sort of Premier League, some sort of Super League, simply because of who they are and simply because they've got a good recent history, simply because they sell a lot of shirts around the world. That can't be right. It has to be a competition that people can aspire to be in, that Leicester City can aspire to win the Premier League and get into a European Champions League. And I think that's fundamentally why this sort of... um, Sadly, I think there will be an element of that going forward. Sadly, I think certain teams will automatically be in these type of leagues, but it should be resisted. It should remain... Um, you know, I mean, I just I remember the good old days when only the champions were, were, were in the European Cup. That's not going to return, but I still think it should be a competition that you have to qualify for. You have to you have to earn your place with a season's hard graft and a season's success. Yeah, sure. But it's I not, do. I just mm. coming on the back of that. Mm. We talked about Shakhtar Donetsk against Real Madrid. Mm. Which team's going to go out of that group stage? Yeah, for all the excitement of a big upset. You know, Real Madrid will be there in the latter stages. They protect the clubs. You look at tennis, Mm. Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, they're always in the finals because they Mm. win every single game they play to get there. That's the problem. It suddenly struck me watching some very meaningless Spurs games in the early stages of the um, Europa League, the qualifying stages. There was a sense of jeopardy there. You knew if Spurs mucked up, they were out of of Europe. And, and that's what made the games interesting. All these games oh. designed to protect uh, the big clubs and give them plenty of games in Europe is killing football. The group stages are absolute nightmare. I think we should mm. go back to a more of a knockout thing. Yeah. And if you're not good enough to beat everybody that you play, you get, I mean, you get play them over two legs, so you get two chances maybe. But that's as much as it should go. Let's go back to the old stage, make it a cup competition. You have to win all your games to win the final. And, uh, you know, it. But money doesn't want that. Money wants lots of games for the big clubs. Mm. The big clubs in the hat, I don't see why they need to be just champions. But then let's see who is the best over an entire season. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It does feel to me as if it, it, it's jostling for position. It's obvious that the European Clubs Association, headed by some some very important you know people and, and standing and figures in, in, in the game, clubs involved, obviously, are just trying to use this to me as some sort of negotiating 
tactic stalking the horse to try and make sure that their proposals are you know embraced by UEFA ne next year and in time for 2024. I'm, I'm just going to finish, guys, wrapping up uh, on, on on you know probably the game of the weekend, Man United Chelsea. You know, it's it's sort of a um, a, a, a test for two absolute giants of the club, and it already feels like I don't know whether whether you agree in that. You know who is going to sort of take the, the mantle on this one, who is going to kind of take the victory, and then perhaps leave the kind of you know could be's and wannabe's and move it move into the upper positions. What do we think, guys? Prediction, please. And who's, who's going to finish the season stronger over, overall as well? I think well, look, this used to be the game of the season, didn't it? Not too yep. long ago, this was the battle that we all wanted to see. He decided the title. It's no longer the case. And it's, you know, look, neither of these teams are going to win the title this season, I don't think. Uh, United obviously go into it full of confidence after their magic in Paris. Chelsea, I know Lampard said he was pleased with that point against Sevilla in the week and they got a clean sheet, which is, which is you know, a rarity for Chelsea these days. So, fancy United, actually. They owe, they, they owe, they owe themselves a performance at home, don't they, after losing to Tottenham so um, humiliatingly. Um, they've got players on form at the minute, so uh, it'd be edgy, won't it? I think I'd say United probably might do it 2 1. Andy, what do you think? You know, I, I mean, this really is a cop out to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be a high scoring draw, I really do. I think it's a huge game for, for well, for both teams, but a huge game for Solskjaer. You know, I mean, the bottom line is, is they've had you know a couple of very, very sobering results at home. You know, I was there for the opening game of the season when Palace turned them over Old Trafford. Obviously, Spurs battered them at Old Trafford. They really could do with a convincing um, home win. Um, having said that, I just get the feeling that, you know, I haven't seen Werner um, on form for Chelsea um, in the Southampton game. I just can't see Chelsea scoring. So I can't see Chelsea not scoring, but I can't see Chelsea not conceding either. I really can't. I know they kept a clean sheet against Sevilla, but United would be a different proposition. I just think, you know, it, it is just so hard to call. I would not be surprised with another 2-2, two -two, another 3-3, three -three, another 4-4. Four -four. I, I, I really wouldn't. Yeah, Matt, how do you see it? <laughs> uh, well, I think it was a significant moment for Chelsea this week uh, when for about 20 minutes they had close to £250 million worth of summer signings on the pitch at the same time. That changes the bar for Frank Lampard. He can't be a plucky loser anymore or an honourable contender. Um, he's got to actually start delivering results against the biggest teams like Manchester United. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be this weekend. I think United <laughs> are going to do it because of all the reasons you said, Eric. And on the back of correctly predicting the score of the Merseyside derby, which I'm a bit disappointed you haven't mentioned that I did oh. last week, um, I'm going to go for a 3-1 United win. Wow. Yeah. Blimey. You get your first ever prediction right last weekend. It's I'm going to milk it while I can. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so you should. Right. Hey, okay. hey, hey, and just, just one final thing. Matt's, Matt's, Matt's luxuriating in his 2-2 prediction, how he got it right. He's the guy who doesn't agree with VAR. If it wasn't for VAR, mate, it would have been 3-2 Liverpool. <laughs> uh, well, you hand it yourself, oh, mate. It's okay now, isn't it? Got, you got your prediction right. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> guys thanks very much indeed we're actually going to leave it there most pressingly of all because Matt, Matt's disappearing off to the shop to buy go and buy himself some pickle for his lunch I, I was going to say John on that point do you want Andy and I to change our name to Blackwell for next week well <laughs> there you go yeah I'm open to it other, other pickles are available 
I'd just like to point out. No one's going to get the Cross and Blackwell reference, done Old old school, mate. Yeah, very good, very good. There you go. Right, okay. Right, guys, thanks so much for joining me. And also thanks to everyone for for tuning in and um, into the Football Digest podcast, which... As the name would suggest, is you know, is also available as a podcast. Would you believe? Had a lot of fun. There's been so much, um, so many talking points um, to 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 get through. Um, thanks so much for joining it. I had a really interesting week, and hope for a really interesting weekend and everything that that brings. So please join us again next week. <laughs>